You're listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Altus. We are in our second Corinthians series. Now here's our pastor, Dr. Jeff Moore. If you have your Bible, Second Corinthians. Kids, I know we didn't do the mystery box, but I thought you didn't want me coughing on you, and we'll just uh, hold off to next week on the mystery box. I hope that's okay. Second Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. I'll admit I struggled with the title of this message because it's kind of an interesting flow of thought. Last week at the end, Paul said, back up in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, and 13, he basically said, open your hearts up to us. Our hearts are open to you. We want you to open our, your hearts up to us. Let, 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 let's get this thing right. Let's have this relationship as it should be. And then in verse 14 where we're going to pick up this morning, he sort of takes a digression. And you'll know this verse. You hear it talked about in the context of marriage quite a bit. Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. But I think it has a much bigger application than just that. I think that's part of it. And he'll talk to them about their holiness, about them being the temple of God, about them being separate from the rest of the world. From li- for living like Christians ought to live. He'll talk a little bit about that. And then, and I think there's a, an unfortunate chapter division in our English versions. Then he goes back in chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, and makes the appeal all over again about open up your hearts to us that we can live in a right relationship with one another. If nothing else this morning, I think it would be helpful for us to understand a few things. If you are a Christian... The God of the universe dwells with you day by day. His spirit, his presence is with you. You don't go anywhere that God doesn't go with you. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So that's good news this morning. The other thing that I want to try to develop or or, or remind us of this morning is this picture that now the dwelling place of God is not limited to a place in Jerusalem. Remember the old system, the temple, different courts, and then they had the Holy of Holies, a very special place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And do you remember the high priest could go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement with a blood sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of people? You remember what happened on the day Jesus died on the cross and he cried out, it is finished? Remember what happened to the veil that separated the rest of that temple from that place? You remember, don't you? It was torn in two from top to bottom. And now Paul has said in the first letter, and we want to be reminded of this this morning, that same word that was used to describe that holy of holies, that naos, In the Greek language, now the Bible says that your heart, Christian, is the naos. Your heart is the holy of holies. Now you think about the ramifications of that with me just for a moment, would you? What if today you had to still go to Jerusalem and go to the the temple? And by the way, if, if it was still that way, you wouldn't get in that little room because you're not a high priest. I'm not a high priest. And oh, by the way, the fellow that's qualified to do it, he just gets to go in there one day. One out of 365 days. 
And he'd better go in pure and right or he's going to die. That's what the book said. He got to go in one day out of the year. Now you and I, your heart, my heart, your life, my life, we are the naos, the temple, the holy of holies. Now the dwelling place of God is with man. Isn't that good news? It's exciting to think about this morning, the implications and the ramifications of that. Well, let's see what Paul would challenge us with this morning. 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 6, verse 14. Notice, first of all, I call it no compromise. Look at what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now remember, Paul has said, I want us to have good fellowship. I want you to open your hearts as open to me as my heart is open to you. I want us to have that kind of relationship, Paul says. But we also know from the first letter and our history, some of these Corinthian believers were going to church on Sunday, but some of them were also going to the pagan temples on Friday night or Saturday night or whatever day it was, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Remember that? Chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. They were participating in these other places. They had lots of associations that were contrary to what the Word of God teaches about being holy, about being separate, about being dedicated to God. And so there is this division. There's this problem going on. Here, Paul is calling for holiness and righteousness, and here they're living their lives. Going to church on Sunday, that's a good thing. But the rest of the week, living like the lost world. And Paul is challenging them. And, and, and what cannot happen, the fellowship between them cannot be what it should be as long as they keep participating in those kinds of things, as long as that impurity is in their lives. Now look at verse 14. You know that verse. Do not be unequally yoked. What's well, agricultural? If you and I farmed in that day, and, and we don't have to go back this many years to find this, You've probably seen paintings or seen it represented in movies. Old-time farming where they had maybe some oxen or some donkeys, pull, mules pulling a plow. And over those shoulders of those animals, they would have put a yoke. Would have been a device that would have rested on their shoulders. And there would have been harnesses that would have gone around them to give them the ability to pull the plow. And you would have seen that old farmer walking behind it, probably with an old single plow, walking along behind it with the two wooden handles, maybe those straps across his shoulder, telling those animals to get up and go, and plowing. Now, I've never had to buy a John Deere tractor, and I don't know how much they cost. They tell me they're expensive. But I think it'd be worth every penny if you had to plow like that for a couple of days. You might think those prices weren't so bad if you had to work that hard to make a living. Can you imagine to go out in the field and put a great big old ox on one side and a little bitty donkey on the other? Could you see that picture? 
Here's a great big ox and here's a little old bitty donkey. Can you see it? Is this help? Is this help this morning? Kind of how I feel this morning. Is this help? The yoke would be tilted. And here this big ox could, who was strong and powerful could walk faster and pull longer and have more power than the little bitty burrow could. And you try to get that little donkey to keep up, but that poor little donkey couldn't keep up with that big old ox. That's being unequally yoked. They're not equally matched. That, that's what that visual, that picture that Paul is painting with his words. Okay, he tells us as believers to not be unequally yoked with non-believers. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now we've taken that verse and we've applied it to marriage. And may I say, rightfully so. It is a principle that does apply to marriage. Paul said in the first letter, chapter 7, to Christians who had been saved, but their spouses had not been saved, he said, you stay in those marriages. Who knows, maybe through your witness, I'm paraphrasing, maybe through your witness, God might reach your lost spouse with the gospel. But here we see a principle. <coughs> if you are thinking of getting married to someone and you are a Christian and the person to whom you're thinking about getting married is not a Christian, then this verse would definitely apply. What fellowship has light with darkness? You are being unequally yoked. You say, well, preacher, I, I did that. I made that mistake. I married a, a lost person when I probably knew that I shouldn't. What do I do now? Listen, it becomes the will of God that you stay together. Why? Because you made a vow before Almighty God. You entered into a covenant with God. It's a whole different set of circumstances. You say, well, that's situational ethics. No, I'm talking to you about a covenant God this morning. Should you have married that lost person to be in with Christian? Nope, you shouldn't have. But once you make that vow before Almighty God, God holds you accountable for that vow. You said, I do. So if you think this little text gives you permission to get out of that deal, no, that's not what it's talking about. Now let's be careful. This is not limited to just the area of marriage. This covers all areas of our lives. Let's say, for example, you're a business person. And somebody comes along and says, I want to go into business with you. And we're going to go into business and we're going to take advantage of people. We're going to cheat them and we're going to make a whole lot of money. You're a Christian and this potential business partner, partner is not a Christian. For you to say, yeah, I think I'll go into business with this lost person. This is a violation of 2 Corinthians 6.14. What fellowship has light with the darkness? Now, this doesn't mean we go hide ourselves, cloister ourselves away in monasteries somewhere and we don't interact with people. Listen, Jesus talked to lost people every day. Jesus walked among sinners every day and yet remained without sin. But he also chose not to align himself with people in a way that compromised his faith, that compromised his morality. That's the principle that Paul is talking about. No compromise. Not letting your Christian guard down. Not 
involving yourself with anyone or choosing to do anything or being with any situation that would bring down your Christian testimony, that would sacrifice your witness for Christ. I don't care what an opportunity it is. I don't care what your feelings are in it. I will tell you bluntly, it's not worth it if you have to compromise your faith in order to pursue it. It's just not worth it. So Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or Jesus with a false god, Belial. What, what, what accord is there between them? A believer and an unbeliever. Now look at what he says at the end of verse, uh, middle of verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. There's that same language. I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Paul refers back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah, I believe. I'm looking at my notes, but I don't see it. He's referring back to the Old Testament to show them the same covenant language that they worked and operated under is the same idea that we have in Christ now. He is our God, and we are His people. We have a commitment to Him. Christian, what happens to you is a reflection of your faith. Where you go, what you do, who you associate with, the activities of your life, how you conduct your business, the kind of person you are is a direct reflection on Jesus Christ. Because you are His and He is yours, you are the temple of the living God. You know, there's just some things you wouldn't be happy if they were going on in this very room. If you came down here one day, and I had a motorcycle in here. Now, this has never happened, so don't start this rumor. But if you came down here, and I had a motorcycle in here, and I was riding motorcycle all up and down these, this carpet, trying to see how many my evil evil days of my childhood were coming back. And I thought, I wonder how many pews I can jump. I wonder how I can peel out in here, or whatever. If you saw me riding a motorcycle in here, you'd think, that's not okay. He shouldn't be riding a motorcycle in here. Probably more likely, this is still not going to happen either. You came down to see me one day and you said, well, where's the pastor? And they said, well, he's out in the sanctuary. He's out in the worship center. And you stepped through these doors and you saw a deer target standing up here by this pulpit. Somebody going, uh-huh, I knew it. I've never done this. But I'm up there in the balcony practicing my tree stand shot thinking, hey, that's a pretty good, just about the right distance, not a bad angle, I'll just practice that thing. Because you need to practice that angle, because things change a little bit. And you see that deer target's got several in, but you see two or three strays sticking in this pulpit. He says, that's not okay. Why? Because this is a holy and a special place. Right? You agree with that? You know where this is going. Guess what, Christian? Your life your body, you are a special and a holy place. You are the temple of the living God. It's in the book. It's right there before your very eyes this morning. So just like you and I wouldn't be comfortable with certain activities happening in this very room in which we're meeting this morning, so we should have the same view of our own lives 
anything that would compromise our faith, compromise our witness, cast a shadow of doubt on the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not belong in our lives as God's children. So be careful about compromise. Secondly, we need to have some separation as a result of that. See the therefore in verse 17, look at it with me. Chapter 6, verse 17 through 7-1. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. There's that language. The Bible also says that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. And there's a difference. Paul is not advocating that we go hide somewhere. Some people read these verses like this and say, well, we've got to go hide. As the church, as the body of Christ, we've got to go cloister ourselves away, lock the doors. Here we are, us four and no more. Bless God, we're fine. No, we're called to be salt and light. You cannot be salt and light if you go and hide somewhere. You've got to be out where the darkness is. Light is no good unless there's darkness. We're called to be light. Salt is no good unless it comes into contact with something. We're called to have an impact in the world. As we are going, we're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But there is a clear and distinct call from, for separation from the values, the thinking, and the ways of the world. In fact, the Bible says to fall into the world's way of thinking, it uses the language of friendship, to be at friendship with the world and its values, is to be at enmity, enmity with God, to be an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to offend anybody. If you are a Christian, you will offend people who don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, who don't believe the scriptures. Our goal is not to set out on each day and say, who can I offend today? It's never our goal. But if you and I stand for the truth that there is only one truth, Jesus Christ, there is only one way, Jesus Christ, then I promise you, somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. Somebody's going to be offended by that. What Paul is telling us is we cannot go along with the world to get along with the world. We can't dive into their way of thinking and say, well, just going to do what they say, going to believe what they believe, just going to go headlong into this thing. I've got to say something this morning. I'm probably going to get in trouble, but it's not the first time I've been here before. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the world this week. And I don't know, maybe I'm way off, maybe it's the, it's the Mucinex, but, um, and, I, and I, I reserve that right, but it seems to me like the whole world's gone crazy. It's just gone absolutely gaga crazy all of a sudden. I, I don't know, I'm sorry for this illustration, I don't know what coronavirus and toilet paper have to do with each other, but there seems to be a connection somewhere. Apparently being quarantined without toilet paper is the most unthinkable, unseemly. I'm just picturing in my mind people fighting over this somewhere one day. I, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Hand sanitizer. 
I have pictures of some guy with a trunk open. Hey, pal, you want to buy some hand sanitizer? Pop the trunk up, you know. Here, give me 20 bucks, you know, that type deal. People are just going crazy over this stuff. Can I, can I just say something to you? The same God who sat on the throne of eternity before we ever heard that language is still the same God sitting on the throne today. Before the word coronavirus ever became a thing, he's still the same God. He's not up in heaven going, wait, what's going on down there? What, what's that stuff called? What are we going to do with that now? No. God is still God. He's still on the throne of all of eternity. And Christians, let me just, let me just I hope encourage us, not trying to hurt you this morning, but listen to me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That we are to trust the Lord when everything's going great. We've never heard of, of a pandemic going on or when there's stuff happening all around us. We're still supposed to trust in God, amen? And believe in Him and be different from the rest of the world in the fearfulness and the reactionary ways, all the things going on. That's just one illustration out of many. Christian, this idea of separation, it matters. It, it's funny to me how we, we do it everywhere else in the world. We have no issue thinking about this idea of the need for separation in other realms of life. And yet when it comes to our spiritual lives, we seem to be less willing to recognize the importance if I've got some land somewhere and some cows on it and my fence gets broke down and my cows get out and they're over there in your pasture eating your grass, eating your wheat, you're going to come to me and say, hey, preacher, come get your cows out. And if I were to say to you, well, why should we be separated? We're all family. Your grass is my grass. Your wheat is my wheat. My cows are my cows, but your grass is your grass. Why don't we just let them graze over there? What's the big deal? You'd probably want me to come get my cows off your pasture. What if your wife comes up, sir, and says, Honey, you know, I'm really bored with you. And I'd like to meet someone else. Is it okay if I date other fellas? Some of you guys are going, wait, you can do that? Shame on you. Shame on you. And your wife says, well, I'm, I've just set up a profile on the whatever, lonely farmers dot, whatever that thing is, I don't know what it is. Just set up a profile. I'll still be your wife. I'll come home after the party. I'll come home after the, you know, whatever. But I'll still be, there's, there's no need to worry about that kind of separation, is there? Most self-respecting men would say, no, dear, that's not okay for you to do that. Well, let's bring it back to the news headlines today. Your child comes to you and says, Hey, Mom, Dad, my friend has a coronavirus, but he wants me to come over and play. Can I go play with him? No. Not okay. Why? Because you sense the danger, don't you? You sense the concern. We see this issue of separation in so many areas of life. And we don't question it. We don't argue over it. We don't bat an eye at it and say, yep, that's right. Not okay for my cows to graze on your pasture. Not okay for my wife to date some other fella. Not okay for my kids to play with somebody infected with the coronavirus. No second thought necessary. Then why do we struggle so much with this issue of spiritual separation? 
Why do we have such a hard time with come out from among them and be separate? Be holy because your heavenly Father is holy. Same idea, same principle. In fact, it's even deeper principle. And why should we do that? Well, he says at the end of that first verse, bringing holiness to completion. Why? In the fear of God. Out of respect and reverence for our Lord. To live like we've been born again. To live as if the naos, the holy of holies, is now inside of us, not in a building in Jerusalem halfway around the world. But that all of a sudden, the most holy place on the planet is right here in my life. And where I go, Christ goes. And what I do is a representation of my Lord. And how I am is a witness to a lost and dying world. So there needs to be this picture of separation and coming out from among them. And then finally, Paul says, back to his appeal for unity, he basically says, look, we're in this thing together. Let's, let's stick together. 2 through 4, chapter 7. Make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Now back verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. Notice the three things he mentions. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. It seems most likely what's going on here. These are some of the very criticisms that the false teachers have said about Paul. That he's wronged people. He's corrupted people. He's taken advantage of people. He's using people to an end, as a means to an end. He's getting out of them what he wants. <coughs> don't trust him, don't listen to him. Paul says, we've not wronged anybody, we've not corrupted anybody, we've not done any of those things. The charges are false. Make room in your hearts for us. I'm not saying this to condemn you, because I've told you, you're in our hearts to die together, to live together. I'm acting with great boldness, I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. Uh, I'm overflowing with joy. Again, you might be tempted after reading, the, especially the letter of 1 Corinthians, to go, really, Paul? You're full of joy and you're proud of them? But it was because he loved them so much, he dared to speak such bold truth to them. It was because he cared about their spiritual well-being that he dared to say what needed to be said. It is not an act of love to gloss over the truth. You're not helping somebody. We call it codependency. We call it enabling. Lots of language gets bannered about in this kind of conversation. It is an act of love to speak the truth in love to someone to say to them what needs to be said because you love them too much to leave them where they are. The writer of Hebrews says, Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? It's not an act of enmity to tell you the truth. It's an act of love. Let me remind you of something else this morning, and I'll close with this. Ladies and gentlemen, body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in all of this together. The battle is not against each other. The battle is not even against flesh and blood. The battle is against principalities and powers and forces in dark places. It is a spiritual battle. The world is going to beat you and me up enough as it is. 
The world is going to criticize you and me enough as it is. The world's going to try to tear us down enough as it is. We don't need those things among the believers in the body. I need to have your back and you need to have my back. I need to pray for you and you need to pray for me. I need to care for you and you need to care for me. We are in this together. But aren't you grateful? We don't go through all this stuff alone. We go through it with God and with each other. Because we're the body of Christ. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Folks, we're going to spend eternity together with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the warm-up. This is the time where we get to know each other. This is the time where we get to demonstrate that Christ has really made a difference in our lives, that there's something special and unique about us as the born-again, blood-bought people of Jesus. Now we can show the world that we are unique. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. It's not time to be unkind. It's not time to attack. It's time to pray. You hear something about somebody else, don't talk about it. Pray for them. Go to them. Deal with the situation. If it were happening to you, you'd want them to come to you. You treat them like you would want to be treated. It's called the golden rule. Very simple. It's very powerful and very effective. Listen, you may feel all alone this morning. Satan loves to isolate Satan loves to insulate. Satan loves to discourage, get people feeling like they're all by themselves and nobody cares. You're a child of God this morning. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. You've got the presence of God in your heart. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. We are in this thing together. Let's show the world, whether it's a pandemic going on or whatever it is that's going on, Let's show this world that Jesus is Lord and knowing Him makes the difference in our lives day by day. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for what You've done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank You that we don't walk alone through this thing called life. Thank You, Lord, that You are our God and we are Your people. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith, be people separated, to be people committed to you with no compromise. Father, speak to our hearts right now. God, if there's someone here who is hurting today, I pray you'd be the God of comfort. Father, if there's someone here today who is confused, I pray you'd be the God of answers. God, if, you, if there's someone here today who's struggling, I pray you'd be the God of all strength in that person's life. Father, if there's somebody here today that's just simply afraid, God, I pray you'd be the God of reassurance that would remind them that you are there with them, fighting for them. Father, whatever prayers need to be prayed, whatever decisions need to be made, God, whatever needs to happen in these next few moments, God, would you lead us by the power of your Spirit to do your will in these things and be glorified in us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Altus Podcast. For more information about our church and ministries, visit us at www.fbcaltus.org.